This is The Crucible. The JRTC Experience. This is where we discuss warfighting skills and lessons learned in a decisive action training environment for large-scale combat operations at JRTC. I'm Colonel Matt Hardman, the Commander of Operations Group here at the Joint Readiness Training Center, and today we're joined by Brigadier General Lord uh, from the National Guard. Sir, would you uh, introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Brigadier General Nate Lord from the Vermont National Guard, uh, currently serving as the Deputy Commanding General for Support for the 42nd Infantry Division, and uh, the 44th IBCT is one of the three uh, BCTs in the 42nd Infantry, Brigade, Infantry Division. Sir, could you tell us a little bit of just about your background, the, you know, where where are you from? What would you start out doing in the Army? What's kind of been your Army journey, sir? Sure. Uh, ROTC guy uh, from the University of Maine, uh, commissioned into the National Guard. University of Maine? Yes. All right, sir. So I know the current PMS there. Oh. Steve Beavis, shout out for you. <laughs> um, uh, been an infantry guy my, my entire career. Um, uh, pretty much grown up in the Vermont National Guard, uh, served as a, a mountain rifle uh, company commander, uh, infantry battalion commander, um, did a couple tours at the Army Mountain Warfare School. I commanded there in 2009 to 11, and then commanded the 86 BCT, uh, brought them through here in uh, 19, and then I uh, left, that was a, a active duty AGR guy, and then came off my AGR tour to, to get promoted. And now I'm a traditional guardsman um, drilling uh, with the New York Guard. Awesome, sir. So Vermont uh, in the winter is probably a pretty easy place to train. It is, yeah. yeah what, it is. What, did, what did you learn from your experiences, um, you know, in the guard uh, up to this point? You know, particularly you know training in that kind of environment. You know, the that kind of environment just it, it breeds tough soldiers. You know, like any austere. You know, particularly from the light infantry standpoint. You know, whether it's what's jungle, mountain, urban. You know, it, it takes a kind of a, a special breed of soldier to to not just live but to thrive in that that kind of environment. So, you know, in, in the Northeast, you know, living in Vermont, you, you kind of have to embrace and, and and enjoy that environment. If not, the winters are just, you know, are they're just too long to 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 stomach if you if you don't like doing. And that kind of stuff, the skiing, the, the climbing, the snowshoeing, those sorts of things. Yes, sir. And so you came through, um, how, how many combat training center rotations do you have? So you, you I think I have. Commander 86 here in 2009. Correct. Uh, infantry company commander at CMTC in 2000, and I think 2000, and then uh, CMTC rotation in 99 as an AS3 for the 508th. Um, so three. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, so, you know, unpacking a little bit, what, what were your big takeaways when you came through here as a brigade commander? You know, just you know, putting a whole brigade on the ground, and not not just a whole brigade, but a brigade with all the additional stuff. You know, the the, the enablers. I think you know, at the end of the day, five thousand, fifty-two hundred folks. Um, just the the complexity of it, and 
you know, for the, I think for the first time in my career, you know, feeling uncomfortable not knowing everything. Um, you know, you can kind of do that as a battalion commander, you know, because, you know, you got three three rifle companies are all kind of the same, and then, you know, the additional stuff, but but as a brigade commander, and, you know, adding the MICO, and, and you know, with, with the shadow platoon, and, and all the other stuff, uh, you know, you, you've really got to embrace mission command, and, and, and command through your subordinates. Um, it, that, that direct command is just, it's too hard to do, I think, given that level of complexity. That's true. You know, being comfortable being uncomfortable is, uh, you know, Vermont winters, I would imagine, are like that. I've spent a couple weeks in the Vermont in Vermont in the winter, uh, and then, you know, a JRTC rotation as a brigade commander. I, I think your sponsor is like, it's just coming to terms with that there's no way that you right. know everything associated with this. Yeah. Um, so we've got the, the 44th uh, here, the Jersey Blues, and we've got a battalion out of uh, Georgia uh, reinforcing, and we've got a, a battalion from Massachusetts here as well. So if you could talk to me a little bit about some of the, for, uh, you know, this will be, uh, everybody will get this uh, from the guard out there, but for the active duty component, um, you know, what are some unique challenges with, with training up and preparing a brigade uh, to come to a CTC? I think there are two pretty distinct but obviously related challenges, Matt. You know, you know the first is, you know, the, the tyranny of distance. And, you know, in the National Guard, you know, every state kind of has its own peculiarities. And when you have a multi-state unit, pretty much every BCT now in the Guard, um, when we went to the third, added a third maneuver battalion, that caused a lot of changes in the Guard where most if not all BCTs are multi-state. So then it just adds another degree of complexity that that, uh, that BCT commander has to overcome. Um, I had six states just in the organic 86, so those are six state chains of command, you know, uh, folks you have to get by in. And, and everybody supports, at the end of the day, the, the overall goal of the readiness of the brigade. But, you know, everybody does it a little bit differently. So it just, you know, you've got you've to do a little negotiating as, as a brigade commander and uh, and then the second I think the second challenge is, is soldier availability is a big challenge in the guard um, and by soldier availability I mean you know no, no longer do most guardsmen particularly in, in BCTs do the the model of one week in a month you know 15 days a year the 39 day training model we call it you know I think I, I would I, I would guess those kids from the 44th are probably doing you know at least 60 days this year and then you know you add in a deployment or you know their title 32 mission the state response type missions you know whether it's covid or wildfire or civil disturbance you know, we're asking a lot of those kids and and some some uh, some families and some job vocations it's really challenging to, to support that so those commanders really have to think through you know I, I have to meet a certain bog strength on the ground for the deployment or excuse me for the rotation but I also can't, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater and jeopardize, you know, some of these great soldiers, their ability to stay in, in uniform. Yes, sir. And, and I would imagine, I mean, at least my experience being on guard units, is, is many of these soldiers, they are generational soldiers. So Correct. It's families of service uh, in these units. Absolutely. So it is a community that we, we impact as, as we kind of look at it. Um, 
you know, so you've been with the 44th on this journey and as they've prepared, you know, for, for the rotation. And, you know, what are the things, um, you know, what are the opportunities they've had to build readiness? What have been some of the, the, the hurdles, uh, challenges that they've had to work through uh, in building readiness for this rotation? Uh, in terms of opportunities, I think the Guard Bureau's got a good model where they, they resource uh, an XCTC exportable training center, which is a, you know, a three-week training model um, with a brings additional funding for the unit to do you know, you know beyond those 15 days, but it allows the brigade commander to put his brigade on the ground, um, which is something that's pretty darn difficult to do in the guard. Um, so that that's a great model. It's a great it's a great vehicle. It's kind of a blank slate for that brigade commander to, to design uh, focused on JRTC, and then. Uh, Sorry, what was the? Um, what were some of the challenges? Okay, the challenges, yeah. So the 44th, uh, New Jersey got hit pretty hard with COVID. And so a lot of those soldiers um, prior to XCTC, which was in uh, 22, um, through 20 and 21, a lot of those soldiers were on state active duty, you know, uh, accomplishing their Title 32 mission working for the, for the governor in New Jersey. So again, that's where that soldier availability issue comes into effect. So, you know, we have this, this you know, formerly the, you know, formerly the Arfrogen cycle, but rearm cycle, where we try to mitigate some of those soldier availability issues, but that's based on the Title 10 mission. So when you add in the Title 32 requirements, which are really, you know, based on what's going on in that state, again, like civil disturbance or, or hurricane response, um, that, that I think took really, I don't want to say hurt the, the, the 44th, because you can, you can build some residual readiness from those things, but from their, you know, Title 10 warfighting mission, it made it that much harder. You know, artillery batteries didn't have an opportunity to shoot, you know, triple sevens or 119s. So in the exportable CTC, what, what did the 44th focus on in preparation for years? How, how, how was that nested with the rotation? So the, the, their focus, and I think, you know, Brian and his team, they were spot on, was really building that lethality at the squad and platoon level. Um, and that's typically the level that we train at in the, in the National Guard. So his goal to come out of XCTC was having lethal platoons that were, you know, more than capable at the point of contact. And then, you know, battle staffs that were proficient in, in staff training. And that's really what he, you know, had that front sight, you know, squarely focused on. So, you know, one of the things that's impressed me with the brigade, you know, going back uh, to the, the leader training program when they came through, is the team's been incredibly coachable. And so, you know, a couple of the things that we talked about at LPP, um, you know, was really doing the C2 as soon as we hit the ground running. And so it was pretty awesome uh, this past weekend driving around North Ford and RDC command posts up. Uh, not all the equipment here mm -hmm. yet, but a lot of this is mindset. And, and from your perspective, sir, you know, what what mindset uh, does a unit need to have to, to make those transitions, um, you know, into exportable CTC, from exportable CTC into JRTC? What what are some of the things from a mindset perspective that your advice may be for, for leaders from guard units uh, that are preparing to come here in the future? I think the most of the absolute most important thing is to 
instill in the entire organization the, the importance of being a learning organization. And you know, the, the answers are here. You know, there's no problem that the 44th Brigade will encounter in the box that another unit hasn't had before. So you know, inter, you know, being coachable, listening to the OCs, and and you know, learning from the units in front of you, so you don't make the same mistake twice. You're going to make mistakes, but you know, as long as you you grow from them and you and you reach out and and, and try those things, you know, get out of your comfort zone. Like, you know, you, your example yesterday in the RSOI brief of the the one two one infantry with their map boards. You know, those those folks are hungry for knowledge, and uh, and when they grab on it and and do those things like like that battalion commander did, you know that that sets them apart and, and allows them to to carry you know that last distance. And that has been you know especially with this brigade, but that's been something that's very noticeable is when people actually uh, from the 44th are writing stuff down and yeah. you know taking the the counsel and advice that that OCTs are given, and I think they've gotten a really good start. Um, you know, coming in, and then so we'll go from from what we're doing right now into you know upfront live fire demonstration, which I think is going to really help the. Unit. I think you're absolutely right. As coachable as they are, and you know, learning from those folks out at the live fire branch, I think those those companies will get come into the box, you know, at, at that much of a higher level, and really with a lot of confidence instilled in them. Yes, sir. Um, so stepping back, so obviously this is going to build readiness uh, for the 44th, and they have you know, follow-on requirement mission. Um, what, what does this mean? What's a rotation mean for, for the guard, kind of writ large over time? Because this is the first time the 44th has ever had the opportunity. First time, Matt. First time. So uh, you know, it, it's it's a varied batch across the guard for BCTs. When I came with the 86, I was fortunate it was their fourth rotation in 10 years. So my XO had eight rotations. Um, so good and bad, because you know you, you do that many rotations, you start to try to think you're a little smarter than the folks running it, and you start looking for the shortcuts, and you know, the, 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 they generally don't exist. They do not exist. Um, if, it, if you're wondering, there's yeah, shortcuts. There are not, you know, it's, it's, it, uh, so, so this rotation in particular, I think, is really going to develop. And we call it generational readiness. Um, you know, having that batch of leaders, really, you know, at the captain, at the major, at the E6 level, you know, those folks that will learn, you know, a lot of lessons the hard way here, and be able to take that back to their formations. And uh, so, I think it's it's a huge step for New Jersey and the Guard. You know, we don't we don't want to lose these rotations. They're they're critical importance to just building that bench of of you know soon to be you know mid grade and senior leaders across the Guard. Yes, sir. And, and you know, I, I even think. For, for the active component, I have the same view of the, the captains that come here. Um, you know, if we're doing this all right, and, and as leaders, we should all want the generation coming behind us to be better than us. Absolutely. You know, the captains that come here, if, if commanders and, and majors are transparent with them and honest about the mistakes they made and why they made them, uh, then those captains come here, and, and when they're majors, they're they're significantly better than, than we were, and, and, and that just keeps building on itself. But I think you know, to your comment about learning, it, it, it also goes to a degree of humility to be able to maximize what we get out of this, because uh, you know, as you and I were discussing earlier, like you, you're going to come here and make mistakes. I mean, I, I've got um, my note cards from when I came through here as a battalion commander, brigade commander, and they're full of things I wish I could get them all. 
have got my green book for my rotation, and, and I have all these, you know, improves that, you know, a lot more improves than I had sustains. Um, you know, the, the generational readiness part, you know, I had the opportunity to talk uh, a couple days ago with the guest OCTs from guard units from all over the country, and I had a couple folks from uh, Minnesota, uh, folks from Florida there, uh, almost 157, I think, guest OCTs, and an amazing experience. Um, and, you know, they're part of this in terms of generating readiness and generational readiness for the Army. And, um, you know, and something that, you know, that we've talked about is, um, you know, last two rotations ago had a couple uh, guard battalion commanders out of Texas come do ride-alongs. And so, you know, the opportunities to have uh, officers, NCOs, warrants uh, from the guard participate in rotations either as guest OCTs or coming just to do a ride-along, I think is, is huge to, to helping people open their aperture and learn vicariously. <laughs> yeah, through yeah, through others. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I would throw in the, the op four as well, Matt. That's, you know, um, there's some there's uh, a couple of platoons from Vermont here, um, but but all the folks that come down here as op four really get a lot out of it. Are they from your old brigade, sir? They are. are yeah. they, like, how bad are they going to bring the noise? On, uh, <laughs> I don't. Know. We'll see. We'll uh, see. And, and, and I agree. And so you know, one of the things is the the firing platoon that's here for op four is actually going to get a shoot this. Week. Yeah, that's neat. It's really, cool. that is that is. Um, and and one of the things that we're we're trying to build out is that op four units that come down here get the opportunity to do a squad live fire on the front end of this to again to help build readiness going forward because I think you know we owe to squeeze every bit out um, and for those op four companies you know what's great is the, you know the guards always really good about sending organic units um, and they usually come here ready to fight um, with Geronimo they're going to get reps at, at doing really high-end collective training, uh, get the opportunity to do uh, company and platoon attacks, get the opportunity to do uh, defense at the company level, including engagement area development, uh, with having OCTs on the ground as well as pretty seasoned op for fighting with them. Yeah, I think that's that's critically important. And I think, you know, talking to some of the, the PLs that came down and did that, you know, their, their initiative and mission command at their level, you know, it's, it's just pushed so far down to them that, you know, their freedom maneuver, you know, within an assigned battle space is, is it gives them a lot of opportunity to, that they haven't had in the past. And we've got a repeat offender here, sir. We've got uh, the Alpha Company, 2nd Battalion, 1st of the 13th, I think is. Uh, Minnesota? Uh, it's one of the, it's oh oh uh, from yeah New Jersey right yeah they came right absolutely they were here in June of last year as op four they were and uh, you know Star Major uh, Oscar Nine was out and uh, saw them yesterday and they were conducting full rehearsals um, and and uh, casualty collection point rehearsals to a level that normally we don't see from most units so it's pretty cool to see that's unit. super interesting yeah yes, sir. yeah that's Having a unit come down here, uh, be on the other side of it, see the pain that's waiting for them, and, and actually do something about it, uh, per, you know, preparing for themselves. So, um, 
you know, all of this generational rain is really ties into something that the total force is really trying to do, which is make this transition, um, you know, to large-scale combat operations. You know, really, to, right. we've made a lot of progress from GWAT, um, and now it's sort of the next phase of this, as well as a transition to divisions bring, being the principal tactical formation. Right. What's your perspective on that within the National Guard right now, and, and, and sort of where we're going, and, and what you've observed? Well, I mean, first, the, the National Guard is, is right on board with that. I think we're maybe a, a step in, in terms of timing behind, but um, General Hokanson, when he was the director, you know, he started that initiative um, to parallel the AC. And I think uh, we're, at, we're at IOC right now, and I think FOC is in 24, but, you know, the end state is, it's all about giving the Army 18 full combat-ready divisions, um, eight of which are in the Army National Guard. So, um, but like, you know, it's a sea change. You know, particularly for folks that grew up in a, in a BCT-centric army in a coin-centric environment, you know, getting back to divisions not as headquarters but as fighting formations, um, there's a lot to it, and there's and it's there's a lot of it's back to the future for for old guys like me. Yes, sir. Um, but for you know, for our field grades and battalion commanders that grew up, you know, under GWAT, it's it's a pretty big sea change, and I think it really. You know, I had a good conversation at, at the jock today about you know how are we preparing BCT commanders here to fight under the constrain of a division headquarters. And, you know, he, he did a great job explaining, you know, what the role of the 21st Airborne is. But, um, you know, that's, and not just the BCT commanders, but the staffs too, you know, how do they, how do they use other people's stuff at a division level to, to fight Geronimo? And how do they deal with the fact that, you know, they may not be priority of effort or priority of fires for divisional assets or, they may be a supporting or shaping effort for for an adjacent brigade. Things that they're not necessarily, you know, used to when they were battle space owners in a coin type environment. Yes, sir. I, the. Uh you know, sort of tongue in cheek, but the, the days of old of the Imperial Brigade, like all powerful, mm -hmm. all owning, is gone. And, you know, the division, uh, not only can a division as a tactical form, as a fighting formation, as you said, sir, do a lot for a brigade, but it's also going to demand a lot from brigades. I, I listened to, you know, I worked for General Pyatt when, when I was uh, in the 86, we were part of the AUP program, so, so we worked for the 10th Mountain Division. And I recall General Pyatt at the 10th Mountain Division Warfighter talking about BCTs setting conditions for the, for the division's success, you know, totally opposite of, of how I grew up thinking. And, you know, whether it was clearing PAA, you know, BCTs clearing PAAs to bring um, artillery forward, but a totally different mindset that, that it's going to take us a little while to kind of figure out. Yes, sir. And you brought something of interesting that I've, I've heard, you know, John Malman and, and John Pappas talk about is, you know, as busy as we are as an army, um, we can't afford to not make the most of, of kind of every experience that we're afforded. And, and one of those is the warfighters. Is you know, brigades' participation in warfighters uh, give them a window into what they're going to have mm -hmm. to do. Even though the division is the, the primary training audience. Um, in many respects, it's either an opportunity to to help prepare for a CTC or to take lessons from a CTC and then apply those as, as retraining uh, in a in a warfighter after and, and making the most of that experience. And I'd be curious, you know, what did you learn from participating in a warfighter? Um, 
so it, it was interesting. We were the, the, my, my brigade. We were the core reserve um, for the for the division's warfighter. It was a two division. It was the Tenth Mountain, and the, actually the Forty Second was the um, enhanced response cell out of. Uh, they were down at Fort Indian, Indian Town Gap, and we were at Fort Drum. Uh, you know the the roles. Watching the division commander fight. He was not fighting BCTs. He was really fighting his sustainment, the MEB, and the CAP. And, and fires, you know, and letting the BCTs, you know, focus on the BCT fight and, and really, you know, focus on the deep fight at the division level with, you know, that was really when the JAGIC was, was just kind of in its infancy. But the amount of time that the division commander dedicated to the MEB and to the um, sustainment uh, was pretty significant. Inelegantly, I call all that the broccoli eating. The broccoli so as, yeah. As, as maneuver, you know, background folks, uh, you, you know, that's the that's the part that maybe isn't intuitive that we actually kind of have to gravitate towards is you know the things that require a lot of math. <laughs> the zinc, absolutely, and for for somebody like me, that's that's painful. Yes, sir. That's painful. And I, it, you know, what I've learned in this job is you know the brigade commanders that put more energy in, into the fires, into the collection, and really the sustainment. Um, you know, people think that a, an IBCT is like, ah, like maintenance. Um, but it, it, I would argue it's, it's as important, if not more important, than for an ABCT because, like, we just don't have a lot of right, stuff there. Right, right. And, and we don't have that, you know, ABCTs, you know, if you don't pay attention to maintenance, you, you won't survive. So, but we don't have that, that institutional memory, not memory, but we don't have that institutional understanding in an IBCT about the importance of maintenance. And I, I was at XETC as a new brigade commander, and the, the exercise director for us was, was um, uh, General Donahoe, the, at that time the DCGO for the 10th Mountain. And uh, he was doing battlefield circulation, and I ran into him several times at uh, platoon live fires. And finally he took me aside and he said, you know, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm you know, visiting my live fires. He said, have you been to BSA? No. You know, have you been to visit your MICO and you know looked at the shadow platoon? No. He said, you know, you're not you're not a, you're a brigade commander now, you're not an infantryman. You know, you, you, you need to go where you're uncomfortable. You're comfortable in, in looking at your infantry battalions because you know what you're looking like and you can mentor those platoon leaders and, 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 and be the smartest guy in the room. But he said, go to the BSA where you're not the smartest guy in the room and you'll actually learn something. That's, and uh, that's great advice. Novelist. Great advice. That is, I really appreciate yeah. you sharing that. And that, that is, um, you know, and I would even say at the infantry battalion level is more time with your FSC. Absolutely. More time with your mortar platoon. Absolutely. Way more time with your staff. Uh, everybody's fascinated, you know, uh, Joel Norrie was the cog when I was at NTC, and uh, you know, he called, you know, going out to watch tanks shoot or infantry clear a trench, that's comfort food. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly, yeah, yeah, that's that big bowl of mac and cheese. And, you know, and every now and again for your own morale, you got to go, right, right, right. Food. But but it's really is, is seeing the, the things that make us uncomfortable and, and that we don't know as much about. Um, Sure. So, you know, what, what I would ask is, you know, what advice would you give leaders as they're preparing uh, for a CTC rotation? Um, and, and, you know, different time horizon uh, for guardians sure. uh, as, they're, as they're thinking about these things. But what advice would you give folks? Yeah, I was thinking about that on, on the ride over, Matt. And 
I try. I wanted to think about something that that was kind of compo agnostic and agnostic to the level of leader, whether it's squad level or BCT level. And really, you know, it, my sergeant major came up with this stuff. You know, three things we actually had them put on our, our brigade coin, and that that's. Um, uh, you know, focus on lethality. You know, your, your systems, getting a man and qualified. Focus on agile mission command again at, at all levels, whether that's reduced talks, rapid decision making. You know, simple but detailed plans. And then three, you know, an expeditionary mindset. You know, li like you know, your sergeant major said, you know, the other day, living out of a rucksack. You know, um, being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Um, I think if you can do those three things, and, and those are as much mindset. They're not specific tasks. It's really a mindset in everything that you do. And then I think the, probably the most important thing is reduce the number of firsts that you do at JRTC. Um, you're going to have some first. It's going to be the first time a brigade commander maneuvers a brigade. That's right. But don't make it the first time you have a uh, disciplined and inspected packing list. Don't make it the first time your BSB has to live in the field without cots. You know, don't make it the first time you have to come up with innovative ways to conduct class one water resupply. You know, there's other, you can do that stuff at home station, whether you're at Fort Drum or you're in an armory in northern Vermont. You can do those things at home station. So if you can reduce that amount of firsts down here, because you're going to have some, but don't make it the hard things, not, not the easy things that you could do in other places. Yes, sir. So let me unpack those a little bit. So that is phenomenal advice. I mean, the, you know, the lethality, and, and, I, and I agree, I think those are all uh, uh, total force agnostic of, type, you know, the lethality. Um, doing basic stuff really well. Absolutely. Um, you know, the, the uh, you know, every single live fire, I get to watch a team leader yell at a saw gunner for, for clearing a malfunction, and the saw gunner has this, like, really? Like, you're gonna, like, you know, I'm not trying to, um, you know, so the, the, the basic ESB task um, really in many ways become, and we want to talk with Valley, that's the foundation of what we're doing. You know, marksmanship's a component of this. We have to be able to safely operate our weapons. Absolutely. And that is the cheapest training that we do. Um, easy. E easy training. And then the, you know, the Agile Mission Command, um, you know, Joel Gardner talks about this, you know, as leaders, our primary uh, weapon system has to be the means by which we conduct command and control. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, some of our systems, uh, I don't think I'll get voted off the Army Island for this, some of our systems are more complicated than we want them to be, and, and you know, Army 2030, you know, the goal is to simplify and reduce the number of systems we have, um, but that the systems we're going to go to war with. Right. And so mastering those systems, uh, whether that's a radio, whether it's a JBCP, uh, whether it's CPCE, is really kind of the key as mm -hmm. a leader to being able to fight, you know, our formations. And then, you know, this is my love language, simple and detailed plans. And, th and this is what's been great, uh, you know, with the 44th and the battalions is, um, you know, they're not trying to outrun their headlights. They right. understand, um, you know, that they have to have a, a simple plan. Um, and then, you know, the, the working towards the requisite detail to have the level of control required in large-scale combat. Um, and the, you know, we, we talked earlier, uh, 
you know, the battalion that has standardized, as we talk about brigades that have multi-state battalions in them, the ability to standardize things as simple as map boards buys us efficiency. It does. And reduces the amount of friction that we're going to have as we try to communicate. And, um, you know, for those out there listening, the more that you can simplify and standardize things, I think the easier you make it. And you reduce the number of firsts. You do, absolutely. Um, and then, I, uh, you know, the austere, um, you know, it's, uh, you got to live hard to be hard. You do, you do. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think the, uh, the and that's, that has been uh, another, I think, good thing here is that the unit, you know, willing to embrace that and turn into it. and. Uh, you know, but it takes practice. It takes practice of how to live out, out of a rucksack. It does. Um, you know, you can't you can't come down here and glamp, but I don't think you're going to be able to go large scale combat operations and, and, and be a glamper either. I think you got to be able to live out of a rucksack. And I love this. I'm going to take this one on, sir. Is this idea of the reduce the number of firsts out there? And there's you know. There's things that we can do in full force. There's things that we can probably realistically only do as a terrain exercise without troops. And then there's things that we can probably only do tabletop. But doing Brigade Kazavak tabletop is better than not doing it. Absolutely. Um, and so, Absolutely. You know, the opportunities to reduce those number of firsts. And there's things that we're going to be familiar with. There's things that we're going to be proficient with. And then there's things that we're going to be trained at. But I think there's a ton to be said about, at a minimum, we want to be familiar um, with the things that we know we're going to do routinely. Um, so appreciate it. Sir, any closing uh, comments or advice for the force out there? You know, I, I don't know who came up with this, but I heard this from a sergeant major. You know, if you can't get out of it, you might as well get into it. You know, <laughs> this, is, this place is hard. Um, CTC rotations are hard. Deployments are hard. But, you know, if you're going to come here, accept it, embrace it, and, and, and do the job and be good at it, you know. Um, Every, you know, people will say, oh, you know, you, you can't go to GRTC and win. Well, I, I think you can, because you alone, and when I mean you, I mean the leadership, you define what winning is. Winning doesn't have, isn't, it's not a, a body count. It's not, it might not be defeating Geronimo, but, but the leaders, you know, at, at the brigade, battalion, company, squad, or platoon squad, they determine what winning is. And, and, and have that, I would say as leaders, you know, you make that decision and you own that narrative. So, you, de you determine whether you win or lose. Don't, you know, but units come down here and say, ah, you know, we got our butts kicked by Geronimo. Probably so. But, you know, did you, did you do the things you haven't done before? Did you do a brigade air assault? Did you maneuver all your formations? Did you increase your proficiency in some of those training mets that you haven't been able to do at home station? You know, you define what winning looks like. Just don't let somebody else do it. And you know what's funny, sir, is I've yet to see a rotation where I didn't see somebody win. Um, against, you know, drop right. Black Horse. Um, I think the real challenge is, do we, can we get enough platoon wins to aggregate the company wins, the battalion wins, the brigade wins? And that's really hard. But units come here and win. They do, every single rotation. Um, and um, in, in the classical sense of beating Geronimo, they do it. And they do it always by doing fundamentals. Right. Um, and I'm confident, you know, just walking around, we're going to see some companies uh, 
get some wins yeah, absolutely. here for sure. Um, but it is like Tetris. I mean, Jared TC is like Tetris. Uh, the pieces fall, you know, the better you're doing, the pieces fall faster. Right. Uh, and it's by design, and, then, and, it's, and it's how we get, you know, more proficient uh, to meet the requirements we have. So I, I'm excited to, to see the wins that the, this unit gets against the Geronimo, but also against their, their kind of own bar that they're setting for themselves. Yeah, it, it's going to be hot. It's going to be painful. It's going to be buggy. It's going to be miserable. It's going to be a lot of fun, Matt. Yes, sir. Looking forward to it. Sure, appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you very, Thank you very Thanks. much. Cool. Sure. You bet. Thank you for joining us on The Crucible, the JRTC Experience. The Joint Readiness Training Center is the premier crucible training experience. We prepare units to fight and win in the most complex environments against world-class opposing forces. We are America's leadership laboratory. Again, we'd like to thank our guests for participating. This podcast was created and produced by Mr. John Mabes. It was recorded and edited by Chief Thomas Rich and researched by First Lieutenant Anthony Cho. Intro vocals were done by Mr. Robert Chopper. Special thanks to Captain Jermaine Branch and Mr. Jeff England from Public Affairs. Be sure to like and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest warfighting TTPs learned through the crucible that is the Joint Readiness Training Center. Follow us by going to https colon forward slash forward slash l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e forward slash j-r-t-c. We'd like to thank our partners at the Center for Army Lessons Learned of the Combined Arms Center, especially the JRTC Call Observations Detachment. Be sure to follow them on social media as well. Follow them at https colon forward slash forward slash www.army.mil forward slash C-A-L-L. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and review us wherever you listen or watch your podcasts. And be sure to stay tuned for more in the near future. The Crucible, the JRTC Experience, is a product of the Joint Readiness Training Center.